Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. And welcome to another edition of Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you could join us. If you happen to be a first-time listener of Talking Money, you'll notice quickly this is not a sales program. We're here to educate. If you go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com, you'll see or you'll be able to listen to other episodes, programs that have been recorded and, and played live that we posted on that website. And we post on, on different kinds of topics. So it's a, a great way, I think, to get information about other types of financial planning uh, ideas and topics that we don't cover, of course, every week, but we have covered them at some point in the past, just about every single financial topic you could think of and we've talked about. So we're not allowed to post uh, much past six months on, on the website, uh, but we do have access to some of those. So if you happen to call and and talk to me and talk to one of the, our office staff and there's a particular show you want to listen to, we can probably pull it out of the archives and get it to you. But we've got to be careful how far we go back because, of course, some of the information is dated as we talk about taxes or state planning and things like that. Things change. The economy changes. We can't do an economic update in March of 2020 and replay that in, uh, in August of 2021 because, obviously, things have changed since then. And, of course, things have changed a lot since uh, 20 years ago today. Of course, it's all over the news, and so I'm not going to uh, just reflect on that a bunch today, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the, the horrendous um, happenings that went on 9-11 back uh, 20 years ago in our country as we were attacked. Uh, savagely by uh, these terrorists, uh, and I and I think it's uh, sad to see. Uh, it was exciting to see back then, in, in a way, how the country came together. It was nice to see. It's it's tough when it has to be because of those reasons. But at least we came together as a country. We we had an enemy. We were going after. We were all willing to go after that enemy, and now we we seem to have lost that resolve. So I'm not going to get in that kind of uh, um. Uh, political discussion today, uh, but I do think it's a good reminder. This day is a good reminder that we pray for our country because we've had we have a lot of issues, and it does affect your um, your finances. And I was reflecting this morning, just thinking of how silly it seems sometimes to talk about financial planning and thing on a day like today when we're thinking about how how terrible the events were back then and how. It seems like this is such a minor topic to be talking about, but it's an important one. It's one, of course, that we have to deal with every day. Life goes on. We have to do the kind of things that we need to do, and we have the freedom to do that in this country because of us taking the fight to the terrorists and us battling for our freedom. And fortunately, we've been able to battle for that freedom other places besides here, except for you know, this kind of attack. And then it, it makes you realize, yes, they, they can... Uh, get over here and do uh, bad things to us 
and we've got to be vigilant uh, in trying to make sure that they that they can't do that and they don't, they don't come over here. But I know people are thinking about where they were back then and so forth, and and that's all nice to reflect. Um, but more importantly, I think going forward, uh, prayer for this country that God would uh, bless it and that God would work in the lives and the hearts of those who run this country. Uh, to help them realize why this country is great like it is. And I couldn't help but think as I was listening to some on the TV this morning, some of the, the events that are going on, and the it was one of the military choirs that was singing Amazing Grace. And that song is is played secularly a lot of, a lot of places. Now, this wasn't a secular event per se, but... The, the amazing great if people would actually think about what the words are in that song when they're singing it uh, and think of the lives that that would change if God used that to to work in the lives and hearts and draw them to himself like he tells us he will uh, that the, those words if people just pay attention but they don't they just think oh amazing grace is not a nice song it's a, a very nice tribute and so forth but uh you know it's of course it's not that at all and uh, when i hear some of the the celebrities that sing it that i just by their lifestyle you say well there's there's just doesn't seem possible that they are a a christian and a, a believer in christ and they sing that song but it's just uh, it's just words and they like the tune or something i guess and they sing it that way so that's unfortunate so let's pray for our country let's Pray that uh, God would heal it and make it a a great country that uh, that it is and that that it once was a, a more united country. That those who are trying to tear it apart um, would be dealt with, and that uh, we wouldn't have to to be con- concerned about that anymore going forward. So anyway, that's enough on on nine eleven. I was going to talk about leaving a. Uh, legacy and not just your uh, assets to your children. And we were at the broadcasting live from the Simpsonville YMCA and at the Miracle Hill Kids Ninja Challenge event. And that was a lot of fun. Ended up getting, uh, having uh, several great conversations with several of the staff, current staff at Miracle Hill, who also were guests, meaning they went through the program. Some of them went through several of the programs, and now they were guests, they were um, staff helping other guests go through the same programs, which I think is great. It's, it, it helps a new uh, guest, a new participant in the programs to think, oh, okay, there is, there is real hope here. There is something at the end that I know I should come out on the other side better than I was when I went into the program because these people talk about that. But we ran out of time, so I didn't have time to talk about the estate planning. There was a new uh, article. It was in part of our uh, newsletter, the Run Blue Trust newsletter, this past quarter, uh, talking about the title was Estate Planning, Life, Love, and Legacy. And the it, it really is um, a good reminder for us to think about what we're doing with our estate what we're doing with our assets and and asking, we're going to ask some good questions today about things that you should ask yourself about how much you should give, when you should give to your kids and what you should give besides just the money. Now, when you have kids that are already grown, well, you've already missed your chance to do a lot of the teaching and legacy planning and passing on your values to them. That's all right, but that's not too late. I mean, there's still chances to do that, that um, 
as long as they're still you're still alive and they're still alive, there's still some influence you can have, and you can have that same influence on your grandchildren and pass it on. And of course, we all love the grandchildren more than our children, it seems like. Uh, but you have to have the children to get the grandchildren. We all know that. So it, um, but you, you, you sometimes think, okay, what did I do different or even wrong with my kids that I want to do different with my my grandchildren and help be a, a good positive influence on their life, uh, of course, without trying to uh, put down the parents. You don't want to do that. You want to work with them to make sure you're both together. But one of the things that I started thinking of as I was preparing for this was what what kind of values did my parents instill in me? Some of the things I, I remember, of course, there was, uh, and I don't talk much about myself, my growing up and all that. So um, and maybe you're interested in it, maybe you're not, uh, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. So uh, we when we were growing up, I had three brothers and one sister. My sister was the oldest. And we uh, grew up in a, a pastor's family. So I was born in Iowa. We moved to uh, western Pennsylvania, just south of Pittsburgh, a little town called Uniontown. And it's interesting, uh, several clients we have actually for from Uniontown. It's, it's really a small town like that. And we have uh, several clients that are from Uniontown. And one of the clients, our family still lives uh, well, in, in Uniontown. And then Mansfield, Ohio is the other town we went to after that. And we've got clients that lived in Mansfield. And one of the clients I just saw just a couple weeks ago, uh, we were talking about that, yeah, he had been up to Mansfield not that long ago. And we were reminiscing about some of the things in, in that particular small town. And it's uh, kind of north central, uh, not way north, but uh, central Ohio. And that's where I did most of my growing up years. Well, with four boys, uh, my dad was very interested in making sure that we kept busy to try to keep us out of trouble. Well, mostly it worked. <laughs> it didn't, didn't work all the time. Uh, of course, we were boys, so we, we got into trouble. So we'll talk about some of that when we get back for the break. We'll be right back after this first break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. Private Wealth, Everyday Steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth Advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome to Talking Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Mike Miller, your host for today. And we're talking about uh, things that you might have been taught by your uh, parents, your dad, your mom, maybe even other relatives, um, some values that were good, some work ethics. So I was talking a little bit about some of the, started to talk about some of the things that, that uh, my mom and dad had us do with, uh, with three brothers, so four boys, uh, all about 18 months apart. We, we had, uh, he had plenty of firepower, as it were, as we got older to, to be able to do things. So I was about five years old when we moved to Mansfield, Ohio, and we lived right next door to the church. It was a pretty good-sized church, had, uh, I think, three, 
350, 400 people for for um, that area of town. That was a really, it wasn't a mega church, but it was a, it was a big church. And so my dad didn't have very far to go to the office. He just walked next door and, and um, would be at the office. So with, uh, there again, with the, the four boys and being in Ohio, it happened to snow every now and then. And so when it snowed uh, and we wanted to make sure we still had church, so the plows, of course, would come and plow the streets. But, of course, what did they do? They blocked all the entrances. So we had to get out there and shovel the sidewalks going into the church, make sure nobody fell, as well as the entrances. And we'd also do our own driveway. And it was so discouraging to get out there and you, you'd shovel that driveway out and then the snowplow would come back by again. And as they came back by again, they'd, sh- they'd push it right back over and you'd have a whole new two feet of snow that you had to try to get out of. But uh, that's that's why I'm so buff today because <laughs> I, I did so much working out back then with, with the snow shoveling. Um, but my dad didn't really ever want us to, to have a dull moment or an idle moment, I think. So I remember things like uh, bailing hay. So we went um, and, and usually there were people somehow uh, associated with the church. And I would go, uh, I remember going to, um, I think it was the Barnhill's house, and they had a farm out there, and this one day they were going to be uh, baling hay. So I was out there and got my, my gloves on and got that uh, that hay hook, and as they came off the baler, I'm grabbing those things, and we're heaving up on top of the stack. And I probably had to be 11, 12, something like that. So I wasn't fair, because I was 13 when we left Ohio, so I know it had to be no older than 13 was probably younger than that so most of these things i did were were back then uh, we had a my dad had started a christian school uh, my dad and the church officers had started a christian school and so during the summer times i would go over there and and um, mow the lawn took uh, my first driving lessons i guess were on that riding mower out there uh, mowing the lawn uh, at the and doing all the other kind of maintenance things that that you would do at a school during the summertime when you could, I was there to help do that. I don't remember how many hours I did it. I just remember I was over there helping uh, do that. Uh, had a paper route, so drove our bike even in the winter time. That was fun. Uh, had the papers, those little sacks that went uh, on either side of your back wheel. And we would drive around and just pull those out and you'd throw the papers around. And I, st- I distinctly remember that our street, Forest Street in Mansfield, Ohio, was a fairly steep street that we would drive our bikes up and down. And that, of course, during the, the wintertime, we could sled down that street. And it was great because uh, this go outside and you know, all of us could do sledding. And uh, so some years after I got married and had been gone from uh, Ohio for a long time, and so now I was grown, so I hadn't been back since I was 13. I hadn't been back until uh, probably 10, uh, no, it was uh, 13 years later because I was 25 because we, we had my uh, uh, first child with us at the time. She was, I was 25 when she was born, so maybe it was 26 years old. So it's been quite a while since I've been back. So we were going up that way for a family reunion and I took my wife by, I took Kathy by there to, to look at the place where I grew up and so she could see the street we sledded on, all those things. We got to the street and and if it went down two degrees, 
I'd be surprised. The thing was so flat. It's like, how could as a child, I thought that that was some big hill that we were going to be driving down and fly, flying down those sleds. It was, it barely went downhill. Uh, that's like the perception that you have as a child. And of course, which relates to you know, how you, how you pass on your values and so, so forth. There's the, the, your children are thinking differently about your wealth or your money than, than you are. So it's something to certainly keep in mind uh, when we, um, Moved then from even in, so I was did lawn mowing and primarily did that once we moved to Orlando during the summer times. Uh, we moved to Orlando in '68 just before Disney announced in '69 that they were going to come uh, redo Orlando. <laughs> so they essentially redid Orlando with or when Disney came in, and so I because uh, I wasn't old enough to drive yet. So my my mom or dad would take me to uh, usually other people's uh, houses that for, were from the church. And I would mow the lawn, and that's how I would uh, make some some money. And then, uh, as soon as I was able to drive, then uh, I got two jobs. So I was I helped uh, with the daycare that was at my mom the, the the school that my mom taught at, and then I worked at a service station at night. And so I would be gone from probably six thirty in the morning because uh, I would pick the kids up for the day to this uh, day camp and then I'd take them home and we'd get back at four o'clock then look, go right to the station and work till nine o'clock so I did that when I was 16 and then it just kept going from there always had uh, the, I think I was it was instilled in me uh, the work ethic to uh, that you that you should be doing something worthwhile with your time you're not just gonna be sitting around doing something uh, you're doing nothing you want to do something so all those things were things that that I did and that I think uh, my parents instilled in me that I can still feel today as I started uh, plan first back over 35 years ago there was that uh, work ethic in there that said we need we want to get this done even though I hadn't and I didn't say no idea what I was doing but I was certainly uh, naively optimistic when we started the company is I just knew there was a need for for financial planning, especially fee only financial planning, and so we had a lot of rough years there, and and it was uh, it's a good reminder for for people that to see others that have maybe they're they're financially a lot better off, and they think they've always been that way. What well, is not always that way, and your kids as you may have been the one that that uh, worked hard and worked smart and, and got the resources you have. That's why you want to make sure those values pass on to your children as well as just the financial part because it's, it's just, I think, more important uh, and, the, and scriptures state that. And, and part of this article uh, quotes uh, Ecclesiastes 7 verses 11 and 12. says, wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this. Wisdom uh, preserves those who have it. So both are important to pass on your children, but more important to pass on the wisdom than it is the money. Because we all know of people who have had money given to them and and. They just blew it. They just they didn't know how to handle it. Um, they spent it on things. They didn't appreciate the work that it took to get that, those resources, those funds, and they ended up just squandering those those funds. I I I don't think I'll ever forget a gentleman that uh, I had worked with back in, in the early part of my financial planning career, and we worked with him, helping him with getting an IRA and so forth, and uh, he was um, given a trust fund. So he had a monthly income coming for, uh, for him for the rest of his life. 
And because of that, at least it appeared because of that, he had a hard time maintaining a job. He would get fed up. Something would bother him and he'd just quit because he knew he had this other money coming in that he didn't need to work. And so any little thing that came up that he disagreed with, he would just leave and then go find another job. Well, there put a lot of strain on his family for all those years. And eventually his wife just separated from him. And in the time that they were uh, unofficially separated before the legal separation, before they went before the judge and got a legal separation, uh, this this guy, unbeknownst to us, he went through all of his his assets. He changed his will. He changed his assets. He changed beneficiaries. He changed a lot of different things that uh, he wanted to make sure that his wife, current wife, would not receive anything. And then the day before he was supposed to go to the judge for this hearing about the official separation, uh, he killed himself. Uh, in the garage and and did one of those you know start the start the car and close the garage door and and uh and killed himself thinking that he had completely disinherited his spouse of course the laws were such that uh no he couldn't completely disinherit his spouse that she was still going to get i think it was a third of the time the rules at the time was a third he was would still get um but it was because of that uh, lack of of knowledge, that lack of wisdom on how to handle that trust fund. Because the, the the parents must have known he was like that, so they didn't give him all the money at once. They gave him a monthly income. But even then, if the monthly income is, is too high, it makes somebody uh, not have the work ethic that they need to have to make sure that they do the things to, to, to help. I think we're all designed to work, to do something, to be self-fulfilled, to be fulfilled by that working. And uh, when, when you don't have that incentive to do that, then there can be some, some real issues. And in this case, of course, was. I think a lot of us know people like that who have that particular situation as well. So we're going to talk through some of that today, uh, essentially wisdom and money, uh, how much to, uh, to give your kids, uh, who else to consider giving it to, when do you give it to them, and all those kind of uh, great questions that we all need to ask. So we'll be right back. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ronald Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And welcome back to Talking Money. That was a mouthful to try to get that little spot in there with all this new disclaimers I got to put in there. Uh, trust, trust, trust companies are a little different than the registered investment advisory firms like we were with Plan First all these years. Uh, actually have a higher fiduciary responsibility than an RIA does. 
uh, operate essentially under the same the same regulatory authority that that, that bank does. So it um, it's interesting to to be under that environment, but it's also nice to be able to help clients. So we had um, a prospect that called yesterday that has uh, no children. She's a radio listener, no children. And it's nice to be able to say, okay, well, because you don't have children, if you don't have a trusted friend or somebody, then then we as a trust company can help act as that personal representative and, and trustee and things and, and operate uh, on behalf of you uh, as a trustee, which a registered investment advisor typically cannot do. So that's, that uh, does make a difference, but still gives a mouthful when you're trying to read all those disclaimers. So we're talking about uh, the estate planning, the, the life, the love, the legacy, and how to make sure you're you're not just passing on the wealth, uh, whatever that is. And, and virtually everybody in the U.S. that I'm speaking to is wealthy. When you compare yourself to the rest of the world, you're wealthy. And and so you may not feel like it. And, and I know, so I read, let me pull this out here because this was kind of interesting. I thought it was one of those funny things. Um, it said, um, uh, this was Spike Mulligan that said this. All I ask is a chance to prove that money can't make me happy. He just wants a chance. To, we know the money doesn't, but he says, you know, give me a chance. Let me just see. Give me some money and I'll see if it if it doesn't make me happy or not. Uh, so I ran across that um, the, just this past week. And so I'm like, so I've taught workshops and seminars for some of the years. I've just kept all kind of materials to uh, to use for uh little fun things for the uh, the workshops. So anyway, we want to make sure we pass those on. So I talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that my parents, especially my dad, passed on with uh, a work ethic. And they passed away now almost uh, about 10 years ago now. It's hard to believe. Um, in their in their later 80s. So I uh, still miss them, but we didn't see them that often. So it's, it's easier not to miss them as much when you didn't see your parents. Like if they lived in town, that would make it harder. But still... It's it's a lot of values that got passed on. Matter of fact, they didn't have a, a large estate. I, I worked with uh, with my dad's financial planner, my mom and dad's financial planner for uh, the lot of years before they passed on. And they didn't have a big estate, but uh, over half the estate was going to different ministries that they wanted to support. So then the rest of it got split between the children. So he, even though it wasn't the large estate, he, he wanted to help. Uh, support God's work even after he was gone. I think that's important to be thinking of. But a lot of times what happens in the estate planning process is you go see the attorney and and they can talk about all different kinds of, especially the real sophisticated attorneys can talk about a lot of different techniques and and types of trust. They can talk about an eyelet or a crut or a crat or a clit or a FLP and LLP or chromate trust. There's a lot of different documents and techniques and plans you can use for doing a lot of things and a lot of cool things that you can do to help save taxes and and help uh, make sure that you put restrictions where you need them and don't put restrictions where you don't want them and, and use the right kind of trustees or use the right kind of people, which is very important. But that's not the place to start. I mean, the place to start is asking the other questions. You want to you want to really intentionally think about um, why the estate plan. Is it is uh, am I trying to just make sure I take care of the kids? Are there causes that I want to help, whether they are ministries or whether they're other charities, or, or do I want to do both? And then how much? And when you think about that, and and I think you have to also ask that question that I've asked a number of times, and Ron Blue was the first one I ever heard say this, but it was, how much is enough? So when you think about the, as your wealth, especially as your wealth increases, 
How much is enough to pass on to my children? How much is really too much to pass on to my children? Now, most of us listening don't have that problem where it's going to be too much. Uh, like in my, with my family, with five kids, with the amount of money that, that, that my parents left, with only half of it coming to the kids and divided by five, yeah, we're not talking about a ton of money. And, and a lot of people that have uh, multiple children, you know, by the time you divide it up, you, you know, maybe you're talking a couple hundred thousand, 500,000. That's a lot of money to them, but it's not typically the, uh, the amount of money that's going to ruin them because they got too much. Uh, but it still is something to think about is really how much do I want to make sure I go to the kids and how much uh, should I not? So you don't want, it's, it's kind of like if you go in to see the doctor and the doctor comes in and uh, takes a look at you and, and, and just says, Hey, I've got this, uh, this this great new medicine that, that that just came in. I think you ought to take this medicine. Or uh, here's a couple of prescriptions for you. I'm sure this will take care of whatever your problem is. Well, no, you want to you want to find out. You want to find out what the problem is first. Don't just do it. And I've, I see the same thing happen with investment professionals and financial planners. They came in talking about investment returns. They talk about how much money they can make you and so forth without ever even knowing what your goals are and what your needs are, what your risk profile is, what what really is going on behind the scenes, not just for you, but for you and your spouse, that then you can start thinking about doing a plan and answering those questions that, that um, both spouses need to address so that you can design a plan that really both are comfortable with. So you want to make sure that you think through the why. What's your ultimate purpose for the plan before you just start talking about what your document should be. So if you're not sure what you've done, pull out your will. So when I'm speaking with a, a new uh, client, I'm not going to ask them um, what their will says. I'm going to ask them what they want to do with the money. Ultimately, where would they like the money to go? Are there children who, uh, some of their children who have already been giving some money because they've already had to help them and they want to try to equalize the estate later? Uh, is, are they say, could they, I've said, uh, other, other ones have said, I've already given, um, a lot of money to the kids. I want the rest of it just to go to, to ministry, to charity. Um, I remember reading a quote, uh, with Bill Gates, of course, he's multi-billionaire saying he didn't want to ruin his kids. He was only going to give them 10 million. It's like, okay. I was like, I think I could be ruined with 10 million. I, I don't know. But, uh, so it's different perspective on what your, what your, uh, wealth is really worth and compared to what his wealth is. Of course, that was a, really a, just a drop in the bucket. Um, but you have to understand, the, um, the children, you have to stand, understand what your will says. So I'll ask the client, the new client, what he wants done, what he or she, what they want done. And then I'll go to the document and say, all right, this is what the document says. It doesn't really say. And sometimes I'll read the document and look at it and, it, and the document may be beautiful. It may have all the, the bells and whistles and things that you want to have in a plan, and maybe have the right trust set up. But then when you look at the assets, you find out that the assets aren't owned properly. So they're not, the trust is not even going to do any good because the assets never even went to the trust. So the follow-up was not there from when the documents were drafted to make sure that the, the whole estate plan is in place, which, of course, is something that, that we're going to do for, for our clients. So um, a lot of times people don't say anything about the charities or ministries and their will. And, and, and sometimes they shouldn't um, because it's more effective. It's easier to change and easier to keep up with not to name 
a charity in your will, especially to name a specific dollar amount, because you don't know what your estate's going to be worth at the time you die. And so I've, I've heard of situations where people wanted to give dollar specific dollar amounts to even uh, children or grandchildren and or a ministry. And then by the time the, something happened in their estate that they just lost a lot of the money. And so ended up uh, the the direct bequest, dollar bequests, were being taken care of and they might not even be able to have been fully taken care of. But the people they really wanted the rest of the money to go to didn't get anything because of how that was set up. Um, but the IRA is, the uh, to me, the best way to give money at death. To, and if you're over 70 and a half, also during life, to be able to uh, give it in a tax-advantaged way. So a ministry or charity is a 501c3 organization. It doesn't pay taxes. So don't give after-tax assets that are coming through your will that your kids wouldn't pay taxes on. You're giving that to the charity. And then the IRA, you name your children as beneficiary, and they get the IRA, but they got to pay taxes on that. So take either carve out a part of the IRA to a separate IRA that you want to designate just for ministries or charities. And you can name a spouse's primary and then name one or two or three, however many ministries you want to, as the contingent beneficiary, and they'll get that money tax-free because they don't pay taxes. They're a 501c3. So there's a, a lot of factors to consider when you're talking about how to uh, properly divide the money. So, and, and then I think, and in our case, uh, we've certainly thought about this, is how much do you want to give during your lifetime when these kids need it? And some people said, no, I don't want to do that. So I, I want to keep it all just in case I need it. And then they get it when you pass on. Well, you pass on when you're 85 and the, the kids are now retirement age 65. And they're really probably doing okay. That's just extra funds. And maybe they can give it to their kids, the grandkids. Um, but sometimes you want to go ahead and give some money, give that 15000 you can give tax-free. doesn't give you a tax deduction, but at least gets, gets, and they don't have to pay taxes on it when you give it to them. Give it to them during their life. Uh, you could also save yourself some taxes by, by giving them some appreciated assets. If they're in a in a 12% tax bracket, maybe they can sell it with zero capital gains, whereas you'd have to pay maybe uh, 15, 20% in capital gains, depending on your own uh, tax bracket. All right. So when uh, we're talking about how much to give to the children, when we get back from the break, we'll talk about, you know, how much and to whom and some, some questions that you want to ask before you ever get that part. So we'll talk about some of that when we get back from the break. We'll be right back after this break. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to Talking Money. And 
we got about 11 minutes here left in talking money, talking about uh, how to leave the money to your kids. Should you leave it all to the kids? And maybe some questions you should be asking uh, while you do that. So it's uh, it can be a, a tricky topic, and we certainly won't be able to cover all the bases today. But but is this is part of an article that was written in the Ronald Trust quarterly newsletter that came out. Uh, and I'd be glad to send you a copy of that if you want to. If you can send an email to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, and then we'll go ahead and send you the article entitled Estate Planning, Life, Love, and Legacy is the title of the article. I'd be glad to send that to you, Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. And, of course, that's also the place if you want to ask, if you listen to this on a podcast as opposed to listening live on the WGTK, then you can always send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com, which is the same place you can visit and see and listen to other radio programs that were recorded there on other topics as well. So some of the questions to ask when you get how much should you give and to whom you should give it to, some of the questions that, uh, that we list in the article, how will my assets impact my children and their spouses? Because you do have to remember the spouses when you give it to them. Then and if there's any concerns about how... The, the the marriage might last or you just don't know then that's where trust come in but how will it impact the children and and will it affect their work ethic and so forth what is the worst thing that could happen if i don't leave my children money what's the worst could happen that's a good question because some children of course are better off financially than other children are another question what exactly do i want to accomplish with the money left to my children allow them to purchase a home Pay for their children, pay for their education, their children's education. Show my love for them. Continue my business by expecting them to buy into it using the money I leave them. Uh, so that's a great question to ask. Do you want to put restrictions? I had some of this stuff. Restrictions like uh, you can put money into a 529 plan. Had a client ask about that this week. Can I give a 529 plan to non-children? To he, he has a cousin that has kids that uh, you know can help them. Can I can I set up a 529 plan for them? So if you give, if you're concerned about how the the children might spend the money, and you you want to make sure that your grandchildren have money there for an education, you can set up that 529 plan because it has to be used for education especially if you maintain your your ownership of it they can't get to the money now once if you pass on and they become the owner of it they could take it out and just pay the taxes on the earnings which could always happen but at least it has some restrictions on it so there, there are some things that you can do in a planning perspective another question would it upset me more if i left a lot of money to my children and found out they couldn't handle it or if i didn't leave them very much and found out they could handle it well how are you going to find that out? You, you, you're not looking down from heaven to say, okay, okay, now I can see you. I should have left you more. No, that's, that's where giving them some now and you can see how they use it, how they manage it, so forth. Do they just spend it? Do they put it on debt? Do they buy new toys with it? What do they, what do, they do with it? It gives you an idea. I think that's one valuable lesson you can get by going ahead and giving some money while you're alive. And then the last question, are my spouse and I in agreement on the answers to these questions? Do we both think that? So I've had, had situations where one spouse says, look, the, this child is, is uh, estranged from us. They, they won't let us talk to our grandkids. The grandkids, they, they pit the grandkids against us. So we don't have communications with them. And the wife says, well, no, but they're still, you know, they're still my son. They're still my daughter. I want to give them money. I, I still want to put them in the will because I want them to know that, that we still love them in spite of 
what they did to us all those years. So, that, But that's something you've got to think through. So what's the primary goal? So some people, well, the primary goal is because they want to make sure their uh, children can live comfortably. Well, like I said earlier in that story, well, maybe that's living comfortably is not the best thing for them because that may uh, ruin their work ethic. They may, won't have an opportunity to really develop themselves and be satisfied that they can make a living, they can do it on their own, and that the money you give them is just supplement. And, and matter of fact, may give them more opportunities to give give more money away. Might have that. So then the big question, the equality decision, do I give to all my children equally? Do I, and that's typically what people do. I just divide my, cause I, they don't want, they don't want any issues. So the reasons people do that, that they give uh, equally is because they want to avoid the siblings, the, the children having any conflict afterwards when they find out, Oh, you gave so-and-so more than you gave me and, and whatever that it avoids that. Um, and, but if you've got good reasons and you do it, you're going to be gone. So they can be, make them, make them mad at you, not mad at each other. So, cause you'll be gone. Uh, the next thing to avoid is that one reason that people do it is that, uh, it, it may bring your children closer to relationship with God. If you've got someone that doesn't have a relationship or you're concerned that they're going to spend their money on, on causes that you just wouldn't appreciate or wouldn't want to, to do at all. So you just don't give them the money. Well, that you may want to give them funds uh, along with there again the the values that belong to that, and they understand you, you the reason why you give them this money, and you uh, would like them to use that money for for causes that um, that you support. But hey, it's it's for you to do. You support what you want to support. The, the bigger concern is their own um, spiritual life their own uh spiritual status do they that are they born again do they know jesus christ as their personal savior uh, are you confident that they know that when something happens to them they're going to join you in heaven because if they don't have that 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 would be the most important thing to leave the children more than any money but but not giving them money that may be something that drives them further away not that god couldn't still draw them to himself of course but it it you might be responsible for for pushing them away for some period of time anyway. And then uh, the last reason that we give eliminates judgment. So if you place conditions on a child receiving assets, then someone then someone else, of course, must judge those mandates. So if the assets for your children are in a trust, let's say, the trustee is the one that's going to be in that position, especially if it's a another sibling that say, okay, that sibling's going to be the one, and that can work in some cases, but many cases it's probably not going to work that you don't want the sibling to be the one that's in charge of the other sibling's uh, use of the money and when they can get money out, when they can't get money out. So uh, that may not be the best uh, way to give it. So equally is not always the best. And one of the questions you that, that we ask a lot is, what kind of financial help have you given and maybe felt like you had to give? Uh, we've had a number of clients. There have been situations where the, the child, something happened. The child made some bad choices. They needed money to help bail them out. They needed help, uh, money to help get them into rehab. They needed help for different things. Pay an attorney for a child um, custody case. We've had that happen a number of times where they help, help the kid because they want the grandchild to be with their child, not the, not the uh, um, former uh, daughter-in-law or son-in-law. Uh, so that, that money, so maybe you've helped somebody a lot with those kinds of things that, okay, now I want to equalize it. I want to help the other child get some so you can equalize that. 
uh, at death. So, and what if you have a child that, not like we do, that has a, there's a disability in the in the family and they can't work, and you want to make sure that they get taken care of. And and so that's that's a reason to say, okay, well that that money I think I can put in the trust. The other money I don't need to put in trust, but I want to make sure that this child is taken care of. And one of the issues with that is you may set all that up because you you're setting up based on what you know now, but something can happen even after you're gone. One of your other children could become disabled, could get in a car accident or something where they need more resources. So it's it's virtually impossible to plan for every contingency. You just plan for the 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 best you can with the ones you know. And then um, and you, you set up the plans and, and just leave it in God's hands after that. But you at least tried. And if one of your children is struggles with addiction, uh, something like that, that's a, another more common thing that's that we see. Uh, is that that's, of course, that person you don't want them to all of a sudden get even $50,000 because it'll, they'll, they'll probably overdose with a, with a 50000 and that child won't be there anymore because uh, they'll overdose and die. So you don't want that either. And as I mentioned earlier, you want to consider the, the in-law. And, uh, and we've talked before about how you, when you name a child as a beneficiary in your will, uh, that and you may put persterpes in there, which means if that child is not there, the the money goes to their children. The spouse, the the daughter in law or son in law, is not going to be included in that distribution unless you name them specifically, because that's uh, they're an in law. They're not uh, they're not a um, blood relative, so it's not going to be a normal succession plan there. So, but every family is is really unique, and a lot depends on. We've had I've had I remember asking a question to a, a gentleman years ago, and I said, "Well, what's the financial and emotional responsibility of your children?" This guy was like seventy five years old. He said, "Well, um, emotionally they're pretty good, but financially they're not very good." Well, how old are they? Well, they're they're fifty five. Well, when when are they going to get? They may never get uh, financially responsible. So, and that happens to some people um but there's only so much you can do so and there's something to be said with look it's not my responsibility after they get the money what they do with it. if they blow it they just blow it and i i i gave them a head start and if they don't take advantage of it then they just don't take advantage of it so there's some things to hopefully to consider uh next week we'll be talking eddie's gonna join me we're gonna talk about some social security uh things that'll be next week uh, so be sure to listen to talking money next week but uh just be thinking about those things with um with your children and and i think i'd encourage you to think about uh, what you might want to give to a ministry or charity uh and of course the qcds we've talked about that you give uh after you're 70 and a half that's that's ideally when you're alive to do that but even after you're gone to to try to think of those church and ministries that you may want to support as well so have a great weekend we'll talk to you next week for the next talking money